You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, before we begin, just remind you, make sure to head over to wealthformula.com for lots of resources available to you, free stuff. Everybody likes free stuff, free books and things like that. Uh, you can also uh, text if you want a copy of um, a basic uh book I wrote on finance is Amazon bestseller. It's called Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. And you can also just get that by texting me at 44222 and typing in wealth formula, one word. Now, um, before I uh, move on to the topic today, I also want to point out that sometime this week, you should be getting some information on our next wealth formula meetup, which will be in Phoenix, Scottsdale on April 24th and April 25th. Uh, We are still lining up some of the speakers, uh, but they will include uh, some familiar names like Tom Wheelwright, uh, Doug Lodmel. Uh, We also have Richard Wilson of the Family Office Club this year, which should be fun, Uh, and just a few other people that uh, I'm still trying to get some confirmations on. But at any rate, the big thing about these things is the uh, you know the ability to meet one another. I cannot emphasize how powerful that has been in our first two meetups. And there is literally I don't know anybody who I've met who's not uh, said that they thought it was definitely worth it. And I I you know I, if you didn't think it was worth it, let me know. Shoot me an email. But the value in getting to know each other in this tribe setting is just unbelievable. So. At any rate, um, keep an eye out for that, and hopefully we'll see you uh, in Arizona on April 24th and 25th. Um, also, uh, my wife will be attending uh, again, for those of you who um, uh, thought she was more interesting than me, uh, which is probably reasonable. Um, now, as for uh, today's topic, you know, uh, let me tell you this. People send me real estate deals to look at all the time, all the time. And if you listen to me, you know that there's no point in doing so, right? Because I get it. People are trying to get an opinion on whether or not they should invest. The answer is I don't know, right? Um, Usually there's some glossy executive summary showing nice pictures and impressive pro forma numbers and all of that. And, And I don't, honestly, I don't even look at it. And you know why? Because I don't recognize the name of the group, right? And so everybody asks, well, what do you think, Buck? And I just write the same thing, uh, which is simply, I don't know these people, so I can't comment. You see, I've talked about this before. I'll talk about it again. But real estate is not like buying stock. If I buy Apple stock, which I don't, and I, if I buy it from E-Trade, it's the same stock that you might buy from Ameritrade or that somebody else might buy from their particular brokerage. You don't have to worry that you aren't getting the same stock. No matter where you buy Apple, it will perform the same. And therefore, you have exposure to this thing, this stock called Apple. And so you don't have to worry about it. Now, real estate, real estate is different. Every property in which you invest is unique. Furthermore, the performance of the asset is highly dependent not only on the actual intrinsic nature of the property of itself, but also on who is operating it, right? 
the same asset in two different sets of hands will almost certainly, almost certainly, whether it's good and good, bad or bad, good, bad versus bad, will result in two different outcomes. It will not and cannot be exactly the same. Some operators are good and some are outright bad, but that's not even what I'm getting at. You know, I mean, well, think about it this way. Um, if, if some operators are good and some are outright bad, it's probably a good idea to know who they are, right? To even have an idea that I think these guys are good. I think these guys are bad. And that may seem obvious, but how many people out there uh, do you know that blindly invest in real estate through various online platforms where they have zero clue about the operator? All they're looking at is you get these things in the email. It says um, 15% annualized return, 15% IRR, you know, and then all of a sudden people start throwing in money because they want exposure to real estate, apparently. Now, the platforms get paid to bring money to the deal. That's what they do. That's what these online platforms do. Why do people trust these platforms so much that they're willing to put thousands of dollars behind it and get exposure to, quote unquote, real estate? It's because they, is it because they have nice looking websites? Is that it? Is it because they sound official? Because they have a platform? Well, it must be real. And, you know, I mean, what's real estate? It's real estate. I'm getting exposure to real estate, right? I mean, that's what people think. And people kind of, you know, behave in a certain way that they're used to, which is if I buy Apple stock here or there, it's still Apple stock. Well, real estate is not the same. You see, uh, apart from being good or bad, you know, real estate operators typically have different business models as well. You know, a few weeks back, you heard Dante Andrade, who's uh, my 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 colleague and partner in Dallas, uh, with uh, in Turo, and we talked about the hybrid, you know, value add cash flow model. Now that's a very very different model from what my partners at Western Wealth Capital do. I mean, their entire focus is on the creation of value and equity for velocity, and to get a big bump at exit get your money back in your hands quickly, et cetera. So how do you decide with whom to invest? Okay, let's go back to that initial question. Let's, let's reiterate that the idea that real estate is not a commodity and is highly dependent on people. Real estate is a people business. And that being the case, my general rule of thumb is to begin with a simple concept, which I know you know that I believe in, which is to know, like, and trust the people with whom you do business. That's what I spend most of my time doing these days. Uh, and that's, you know, with, with reference to uh, Investor Club and everything that we do in there. Of course, liking and trusting is only part of it. It's really only part of it, right? I like and trust many people with whom I would never trust my money. I like and trust my mother, but I would never let my mother invest my money. You also have to make a judgment on, you know, some expertise or somebody's competence in a particular area. Now, how do you do that? That's not an easy thing, right? Well, one simple way to do it, one fairly rudimentary way to do it, I should say, is look at the company's track record right? So 
If you know, like, and trust a group and they have a stellar track record, you can at least start looking at pro formas and taking them seriously because maybe they've met those pro formas before. Maybe they've exceeded those pro formas before. Maybe they haven't. Who knows? But at least you've got a chance to take a look, right? Because the reality is that anyone can make a pro forma look good. Some glossy paper, Excel worksheets. Man, you can make a swampland in Florida look good. But every opportunity is not good. And most won't achieve pro forma, especially in a market like we are in today. Now, going back to my partners at Western Wealth Capital. Now, listen, I won't pretend that I am not biased at all. Apart from being a partner of Wealth Formula, uh, Western Wealth is. Uh, Western Wealth is a company that I have personally invested hundreds of thousands of my own dollars in. And perhaps more illustrative or demonstrative or whatever word you like, I have invested just as much of my 80-year-old dad's money in these deals. Now, I don't take that lightly as you can imagine, but I know, like, and trust these guys. I know their track record. I know them at a very granular level. Western Wealth Capital has become a big part of my personal financial uh, plan, right? Uh, my personal investment philosophy. They play a big role in that. And they are people that I know very well and trust. I, I really, really trust them very much. And I, I, you look at the model and it's unbelievable. Uh, Tim McCleary, whom if you are an in investor club, you probably already know Timmy, but he is a big part of, of the wealth formula machine. Uh, he's also a very good friend of mine. He's become like a brother, and we will have a conversation with him right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is my very good friend, uh, partner Tim McCleary from Western Wealth Capital. Tim has been involved with the financial services and real estate uh, industries for 25 years before joining Western Wealth Capital. His resume is extensive. Uh, including oversight of more than a billion dollars in assets at TD Bank Financial Group. And that was, of course, before our current uh, run at Western Wealth. Now he is uh, Vice President of Investor Relations at Western Wealth Capital. Um, and he is obviously, you know, the face <clears throat> that many of you who have been in Investor Club already uh, have seen and met in person uh, if you've come to our uh our meetups in uh, Phoenix and Houston. And of course, he'll be in the next one as well. Tim, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast, man. Yeah, thank you, Buck. So, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we've been talking, uh, we've been talking Western, within Investor Club and, um, you know, pretty much uh, every day with regards to properties that we're looking at, et cetera. But it's great to finally have you on the program to kind of, you know, expose everybody who's not necessarily part of the investor club to what, uh, you know, what you guys are doing. So everyone, um, you know, obviously people in the investor club already know at least you through the webinars. Uh, they may not have seen your pretty mug, uh, like you can on the video version here, but tell us a little bit about your past and, you know, how you ultimately ended up from, you know, these positions where more traditional financial markets into multifamily real estate. Well, there's this always a common theme, and I've always worked in an environment dealing with or connecting with people and institutions anywhere from uh, 
as you mentioned, TD, which is, you know, institutional money management, uh, business development leadership with a major chartered financial banks. So again, the common denominator is the ability to connect with people. And uh, my last position, so my last job, you know, I was pretty darn comfortable, uh, feet up, you know, not being challenged, golfing a couple times a day, or a couple times a week, sorry, a day. Uh, sometimes I would play. <laughs> you sound like our president. Uh, real comfortable. <laughs> and uh, actually, one of, one of my good friends, a gentleman I used to play a little hockey with uh, in the past, because that's what we do up here in the frozen tundra, is play a lot of hockey. Uh, he was the CFO of actually a, a very large local developer. And he had just joined this small little firm in Vancouver called Western Wealth Capital. And at the time, and I, I thought he was nuts. Uh, he went from a you know, CFO of, a, again, one of the largest developers in Vancouver to this real estate company called Western Wealth Capital. And out of the blue, um, he gave me a call and, and introduced me to the CEO of, of Western Wealth Capital, Janet LePage. And, um, that meeting, I basically sat there and said, I'll do whatever it takes to come and work with this organization. Uh, it, it, I just knew it was a rocket ship. Uh, she's an amazing lady. And then I met David David Steele, the other co-GP, and um, that was two and a half years ago. And uh, I love every day, and uh, it, it's, I'm learning as we go as well, too. And uh, it's been a, a phenomenal ride, and I'm looking forward to the next 10 or 15 years. So, you know, obviously you're a smart guy, and you're heavily involved with day-to-day operations, and you've got, yes. you know, it, really your pulse on every part of this business. So um, when you look at it from that perspective, and you know what's going on in the economy, et cetera, why multifamily uh, real estate right now? Well, you know, multifamily is, is, is kind of the darling play in that real estate asset class right now. Um, you know, more and more people and groups are, are, are running to this asset class. And, and there's, you know, a couple simple reasons. Um, you know, one there's, you know, a multifamily is, is a very low risk profile asset class. Uh, you know, you look at the stock market and the fluctuations, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still a junkie. I, 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 I look three or four times a day to see what the Dow and NASDAQ are doing, but you know, basically the up and down of the Dow and NASDAQ. Um, and you know, the market, that general market, that, that really depends on, I say it's, it's, it's moved from a fundamental market to an emotional driven market, you know, it depends on, tweets from certain people, then all of a sudden you'll see the market move one way or another, right. you know, whereas, you know, multifamily is just, it's, it's boring. It's, 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 it's boring. It's a real boring asset class, but again, it's also something you can touch and feel. It's, it's not, it's not emotionally driven. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's real property. It's something you can touch and feel. And then, you know, also plain and simple, people need a place to sleep and, right. and, and multifamily provides that, um, you know, there's a thousand people moving to Texas a day. Uh, they need somewhere to sleep. And, you know, and this is a reason why we love Dallas and Houston. Um, you know, there's more and more employers, uh, moving from the West coast, you know, to, uh, you know, to these states such as, you know, Florida and Texas and Arizona and all those new, uh, new workers need a, need a place to sleep. And multifamily is, is, uh, provides them affordable place to live. Um, you know, it's it's very much workforce housing, and that's what we look for. And then, lastly, uh, cash flow. I mean, you have a low risk profile asset class, and 
and and you're receiving a yield. I mean, it's it's basically uh, the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the uh, the f- the thing that you said that really resonates with me in general, and I and I've said it on this show a number of times <laughs> recently, is that boring is good, right? Boring is good, I mean, yeah. boring is good. I mean, yeah. this is um, and take it from a you know a serial entrepreneur type guy myself. I mean, I've chased enough shiny objects. And what's always amazing to me through that period over the last decade is that through everything that has failed and that has gone well, one thing just keeps doing well. It's boring, but it's called multifamily real estate. And that's been my experience, you know? So, so again, just advice to uh, just general advice, not financial advice. Don't stay away from something because it's boring. Don't go chasing things because you look bright and shiny. They look exciting because when they're exciting, there's inherently more risk. Boring is good. But let's talk about the Western wealth capital, because when you think about, you know, the Western wealth capital model, uh, you know, it is a uh, it's it's quite opposite from uh, from the some of the more boring ideas of uh, of when you think of REITs and stuff. It's actually pretty electric. I mean, Ken McElroy, who um, uh, rec- you know, we we had this meetup as you recall. Uh, it was about a year ago in Phoenix Scottsdale, and Ken was there. And Ken was obviously has known Dave Steele um, for you know a very long time, and they're friends. He listened to what you know Dave had to say, and he called it a quote money machine. Right. And that's pretty high praise from a guy like Ken, you know, and, and a lot of people trust Ken. I trust Ken. So what exactly is it, you know, that makes this machine what it is? I mean, it's uh, annualized returns of 30 percent uh, for investors uh, through all divestments and, you know, the speed at which things are working. What what is it that makes this different? What is this money machine? Well, you know, firstly, I mean, that's super high praise from, from a guy like Ken. I mean, he's had massive success in this space. And, you know, as you mentioned, Dave Steele or GP and Ken go way back. Um, but and that's huge praise from Ken. And that was fantastic when he did say that. Um, our, you know, our model is pretty simple. Um, you know what, Buck, really what it comes down to is execution of our plan. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, you may have the best business plan on the planet, the best, best yeah. widget, gidget, whatever it is. But if you can't execute, guess what? It's useless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our, our system, uh, our process is repeatable, it's scalable. Um, we execute on day one. Uh, and, I mean, day one of takeover when we take over a property. But before we take over a property, uh, you know, we already know what color we're going to paint the building. Uh, we know what the pool furniture is going in. We know what the monument sign is going to look like. Um uh, you know, the landscaping's, you know, taken care of. The leasing office uh, is basically going to be remodeled uh, as well on day one. You know, we're putting flyers under the doors of the tenants and we're saying, hey, do you want an in-suite washer and dryer? You know, uh, all the statistics that we read that that was the number one ask from tenants is an actual in-suite washer and dryer. And it's mind-blowing to me that um, property owners out there uh, that have pre-plumbed washer and dryers, but actually don't put washer and dryers. And, right. you know, we simplistically threw a, a flyer on the door and said, if you would, would like a in-suite washer and dryer, 
uh, you know, for an extra 40 or $50 a month, just to let us know, we'll install it. And on Tuesday, you'll have a washer and dryer, the balance a month, no charge, but you know, as of the next month, you know, there'll be a 40 or $50 charge. And, and you know, what, you know, what you got to look at is that, that installation of that washer and dryer, uh, for, for, you know, 40 or $50 a month based on a cap rate, it works out about an increase in equity on a per door basis of about $10,000. And, and, and again, like you said, it comes down to just simple math. And then, you know, we throw in our gold star renovations where, you know, we can turn a unit in about, you know, eight days at a cost of about 6250 uh, to turn that. And, you know, if we're charging $125 for that gold star renovation, you know, based on a, on a certain cap rate, but you, again, that per door, you know, equity uh, valuation has gone up by $30,000. So it, it really, what it comes down to is simplistically math and the ability to execute. And that's something that, uh, uh, we're good at both. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the way I think about it, and and tell me what you think of this analogy, because, you know, it, 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 listen, at the end of the day, value add real estate is not a new concept. You know, there's a lot of operators out there doing it. They've been doing it for a long time. But to me, what the difference when I look at it is that most value add operators, and I'm talking about even, you know, a lot of well-known ones, they're really operating at a boutique type level of business, right? I mean, they're sort of like the, uh, you know, the, 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 if you look at it in terms of restaurants, they're the cafe around the corner run by the mom and pop. And, you know, they've got an idea and they, you know, they, they run it well, they get some good stuff going on, they get nice ingredients, but the reality is they're, they may not be running it as efficiently. They may not be running it as quickly and as profitably as it can be. What's remarkable to me when I look at what you guys uh, have put together there is you've got effectively a, you know, a McDonaldization, right? Like a you, you've taken something, a substrate like apartment buildings, you know, $25, $30 million, $70 million apartment buildings and commoditized the, you know, the, the turning of those in such a manner that it's it literally reminds me of a McDonald's uh, type, you know, or you know some kind of industrial boom, 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 get it done kind of thing. And whereas you might think, well, that's not gonna you know result in as good a product. The reality is the repetition, the um, you know the, the the repeating the same thing over, having the same type of you know operations over and over make you better and better and faster. And that I just don't see anywhere else. And I'm curious, kind of what. If that's the same, uh, you know, what you see is the difference uh, from others. Yeah, it's 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 we're constantly working on our processes, and you, know, you said it. Um, it's it's repeatable and scalable, uh, and, and you can call it the McDonald'sism theory, <laughs> but you know that that's what drives us uh, uh, very much. Uh, and again. You know, it, it does come down to execution. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of syndicators out there that really say they're in our space or in the value add space, you know, but they really don't spend that equity. Uh, they don't have that team in place that can actually execute. And um, that's one thing that's different about Western Wealth Capital is, is, you know, Janet and Dave do spend the money. We do have the right people in, in all of the asset locations that we are situated. And, 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 we're not happy with six out of 10. Um, 
you know, we live in a world where 10 out of 10 makes, makes sense. The other part um, that I think is really different is speed, right? Correct. Because, uh, and again, from, from the standpoint of a guy who's interested in looking at things from a, you know, mathematical way. I mean, I, I like equations. I like things that have definitive, you know, uh, ways of looking at things. The one thing that people don't usually think about is speed, right? So you're going to do this at scale. You're going to turn this. You're going to get so much, you know, increase in uh, apartments and net operating income. But if you can contract the amount of time it takes to get there, you've effectively doubled your return. And that presumably is a, you know, that that's why you're getting the kind of returns you are. I mean, don't you think that speed is probably the variable that is most uh, unique to the model. Very much so. And, and I mean, how I look at that is, you know, we're a very conservative organization. Um, all of our models are, they're cookie cutter. Um, we were big believers in under promising and over delivering. Um, you know, our, you know, Janet, you know, Janet's math background, um, she's a computer scientist. She's a computer scientist by trade. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's very math based. Uh, you know, we have a, a wow program. We had a wow 1.0. We now have a wow 2.0, but so what we're trying to do is just increase the speed of how, you know, how quick we, we execute. And really what that comes down to Buck is, is, you know, for our investors is we're, you know, we're de-risking their investment from day one. We're, we're, increasing the value of that property so quickly that we are literally moving the cap rate from, let's say a buy of five to six or six and a half uh, because of the execution of our, of our business plan. There's another part of that speed and uh, you know, that, that, that's really pertinent to investors. And that is the idea of getting your money out of the deal. We always talk about in terms of Western or in terms of the wealth formula, you know, uh, mass times velocity times leverage. So velocity being like how quickly you get your money back out of a deal. One of the things I think is really uh, interesting is the um, the use of the supple- supplemental loan program. Can you explain kind of how that works uh, to people who don't know about it and, you know, some of the advantages of, of doing that? I mean, just very high level, you know, when we buy a property and then we're going to use some round assumption numbers here, but let's say we buy a building for $20 million, you know, we're typically using agency debt. Uh, the lender will actually provide us with a loan, you know, 100% valuation of that property, uh, loan to cost. Um, so let's say the full $20 million. Uh, however, they will not, you know, of course, um, fund us that full uh, amount uh, typically it ranges anywhere from you know based on our model 65 to up to 72 percent you know of that LTC uh, and then as we create that value in that property as we execute and at the speed that we do we are we are you know we creating value quickly um, we can go back after 12 months uh, to our uh, a lender and instead of doing a, a whole refinance package, which typically is quite expensive, uh, we just go back and and have our our, our lender uh, revisit the uh, financials and, uh, and basically uh, pull a supplementary. So again, if that building goes from twenty million to twenty five million, um, 
they will release uh, 70, you know, anywhere between 65 to 70, 72% of that additional $5 million in equity that we've created. Uh, what we do with that equity, well, we give it back to our investors. So our whole model is, uh, and, and we've, again, under-promised and over-delivered here, but, you know, what we pro forma is to return 50% of the investor's equity between a 24 to 36-month period and then uh, another 25%, so up to 75% between a 36 and 48-month period and then uh, up to 100% of their original equity back between a 48 and 60-month period. So, they still retain their original percentage ownership in the building, uh, the same number of units. Uh, however, as you just mentioned, Buck, what, what it does do is it, it puts money back into their pocket a lot quicker. They can in turn reinvest that into something else. And, um, you know, again, the velocity of their money is in the velocity returns are, are definitely yeah, increasing. That's really the key, um, you know, is, is that the, uh, the, the cash out refi model, is again, it's nothing new, just like value add, it's nothing new, but usually you don't see it for about five years. And then you get, you know, maybe you get a refi and hopefully you get your capital back out of the deal and, and you've got, you know, what we call infinite returns. But in what, 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 what we're talking about here is really unique because I know you mentioned 24 to 36 months, just looking over uh, the history, it looks like the average has been about 18 months where investors are getting about 50% of their capital back. And then, you know, a year later or whatever, they're getting over the next year or two, they're getting the rest of it back. By the way, uh, the model does not allow for a split until then. So in other words, the operator's not getting paid, you know, any part of the equity until 100% of capital is returned. But what, um, what that does is it allows you to take you know, not wait four years, but wait, you know, I mean, it's 18 months, 24 months, whatever. And if you get, if you invested a hundred grand, take 50 grand back and put it into something else. Now you've got, you've got an opportunity to make money in two places at the same time with the same capital. And that's where the numbers really go off the hook, right? That is kind of the, the thing. And then as Tim mentioned, it's also a de-risking so tell us a little bit about like, you know, kind of your track record in terms of doing this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, I'll tell you a whole story about one of our investors. Um, you know, he uh, uh, is a he. Uh, he started with us, uh, it's actually five years ago now. We're a six-year-old company. So he did a little, but it took about a year of research for him to give us his his first dollar. But so it's been about five years ago. He he. He uh, started investing with us. He spread seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, throughout a couple of deals, and through every you know, what, deal, right? Wasn't it or something? Well, like, yeah, he was. You know. He started coming in, and you know, we do the dip your toe in with a certain amount, and then you yeah. know, the investment level got a little bit larger. And so his total investment, you know, with Western Wealth Capital was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and. You know, it's funny. He, he he comes to all of our wine and cheeses, and uh, he basically said, "I'm not going to give you any more money. I'm done." Um, but I promise you this: what I'm going to do is every single penny that you give me, I'm going to reinvest it. So, you know, through all of our refis, um, our dispo, uh, divestments, dispositions, which we've had 31 to date. Um, so every penny he's given back to us, his actually equity level and ownership of properties with us is just now under four million dollars. So seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, 
total investment over like, you know, spread over several deals over the last five years is now yes. worth about four million bucks. And he's just continuing to roll it. Yeah. That's, that's all he's doing. Actually, I should, I should ask him, I should have to pay him, but I, I love to talk. I'd probably, I should take him on tour with me. <laughs> I want to get him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <he would. laughs> that uh, comes out to roughly an 89% annualized return on capital. Yeah. That is yeah, insane, right? Quite a run. Yes. So, okay. Well, what's interesting to me is that with, you know, these kinds of returns, people assume there's got to be a lot of risk, right? I mean, how do you get 30% annualized returns? How do you get 89, you know, how does this guy get 89% annualized return? Uh, but in fact, you know, the two elements, and you've alluded to this before, that tend to theoretically make these opportunities even more stable than most offerings is that first, you know, you, you've obviously got a heavy capital expenditure uh, budget because this whole thing is about turning you know, really neglected properties into really high quality properties. And if anybody's ever been on a Western Wealth tour, you'll see it's just amazing. But so it's a huge, you know, it's a it's a big investment up front that's raised from uh, the capital from the equity. But one of the beautiful things about that is, hey, you're not, you know, we're not going to just try to expect that we're going to generate all this income from the property, right? And that creates this level of cash that's sitting up front. That is one thing that, in my mind, significantly de-risks the uh, opportunities. Is that there's huge, there's a huge uh, capital, uh, uh, st you know, stack sitting there waiting. But then there's also the other idea that, whereas we're driving equity into this and we're making a profit, hopefully by driving, uh, you know, driving cap rates up dynamically in real time. Um, you're essentially creating, you know, you're, you're like, as you called it, de-risking the property, right? I mean, those are the two main elements. What are, is that, is that kind of how you see it in terms of, of mitigating risk? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, um, not only mitigating risk, but also, uh, you know, it comes to returns. Um, you know, when we model a property, and then when we send our basic OM executive summaries out, you know, we're not showing 30% returns. Uh, and then that's what we've actually achieved. Um, in our past, uh, we've had 31 dispositions for an average hold period of 29 months for an average return of 30% annualized. So we're, we're not showing that, you know, what we're, we're basing, uh, our math typically is working out to between 17 to 20% annualized returns based on our property. And the very conservative. Sorry, on, on the performers. On the performers, exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, when we have a, a property with say two hundred units, we're not saying we're going to execute our value add proposition on eighty percent, eighty five percent. We're saying we may do sixty, sixty five percent, and that's where we come up with these seventeen to twenties. Uh, you know, plus our refinance of fifty, seventy five, and a hundred. You know, but again, the whole goal book, back it comes down to is again, uh, under promise and over deliver. And, and as well as, is, is you can under promise and over deliver, but you better be able to execute and, and the speed. And again, we're very good at, or we're obsessed actually. That's the word we use. Yeah. We're obsessed with execution. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, uh, that's pretty obvious. How big now, because we talked about how this has been, this has been a lightning bolt of a business in terms of growth. How much, how much property is under management now? 
Uh, we're just under 16,000 units. Uh-huh. And then what does that come out to in dollars? Get out in front of you? Uh, in, in dollar figure? Putting you on the spot, but yeah, just to remember. Uh, it moves so quickly, right? It's yeah, be- no, I mean, so last year we actually, uh, 2018, uh, we purchased 16 buildings. Um, in 2019, we purchased 19 buildings. Um, our goal this year is 24. You know, however, you know, we do have, um, you know, different sources of that's got to be a billion dollars at least oh uh, we, we, we no we're well over we're, we're over 2.2 billion 2.2 billion got it yes yeah um okay so we've got all this good stuff going on and there's skeptics out there and for good reason that say well gosh you know what's you know uh what are you going to do when the market changes i mean we talked about some of the things that you can do to de-risk that um, like, you know, you're decompressing your own, uh, cap rates by, by creating this dynamic, you know, driving of net operating income, but what happens in that scenario? And typically, you know, a cycle like that might last a couple of years. Um, if you have a situation where you've decompressed cap rates, hope, and you, you're certainly in a position to be safe because you got about a bunch of money in the bank, you've, you know, you've driven up your income, but then what do you do then to, to, you know, to try to maximize yield? Do you just, you know, hold on to the property and, and wait for better days or what do you do? Yeah, I guess the worst case scenario is, is as you mentioned, you, you sit in cash flow. Um, again, we're a bit unique. Uh, we don't have to borrow our CapEx. We raise our CapEx. So, you know, we'll, we'll right. sit on a, a, a whack of cash. Um, you know, if required, we can still continue implementing our value add program because again, you know, in, in a crunch period of time, try and get money from, from a bank or, right. or agency, you, you can't. So, right. um, other syndicators just have to stop. Um, we raise that CapEx so we can keep going if we want, but, uh, I mean, worst case scenario is, is we sit in cash flow. Um, you know, but we also, what we look at is in, in the markets that we deal is, you know, or where, where we have assets for the markets that we really like is, you know, we take a, a real look at uh, that a type of properties existing or being built. And, you know, we love buying by a, you know, right, you know, a C or C plus type of building right beside an A because, you know, the individual is at, you know, that's paying 2250 a month for an 800 square foot A type of property. Uh, you know, when that market does change, um, you know, our $1,550, 1,100-square-foot, uh, newly renovated um, unit plus uh, completely upgraded amenities is going to look fantastic. It's going to save that individual $700 a month. So, you know, again, it, it comes down to de-risking your investment. And, you know, that's one of the aspects that we look at is is that that A type of property in the area. But, again, worst-case scenario is, yeah, yeah we, we stuff it full and we cash flow. Yeah. So, I mean, just to be clear, we're talking about C, C plus, uh, you know, probably you know, what you guys call C. I mean, it's probably more C plus. Yes. Know, C plus moving it up to like a B, B plus uh, in it, you know, like near an A area or something like that is effectively the idea. Um, you know, speaking of, of the markets, though, one of the things that I think is uh, how, you know, when you right now, I've been saying, and one of the most critical aspects of of buying real estate right now is picking the markets, because you know when times uh, when things are hot and things are you know markets are flying, uh, that's when you get like these 
you know, you get these tertiary markets that yeah. people start chasing yield where in situations where, you know, if the market turns, there's really no natural growth there. There's no real job, you know, there's not new industry. There's not that. I mean, how much of that goes into market selection? Can you kind of talk about your process there? Yeah, you nailed it, Buck. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, um, other firms, you know, chasing yield, chasing returns. Uh, there's a lot of equity out there, um, but there's also a lot of kind of startup syndicators uh, trying to make a mark. And uh, so they're trying to chase returns and, uh, and what they don't see and, and what we see with, you know, over a hundred transactions, uh, they, they don't see the deal flow that we see. Um, you know, we're seeing 22 to 30 deals in about 12 different cities uh, a, a week. Um, you know, but, you know, we see other firms, you know, buying in those tertiary markets and that, you know, we'll never do that. Um, you, know, you know, so when, when the market does correct, you know, the places such, like, such as, you know, Dallas, Houston, uh, Atlanta, Phoenix, you know, these, these markets that are in your top five to 10 type markets for economic growth, when there is a correction, yeah, they may correct a little bit. But however, if you're buying in a market that right now is ranked number 15, uh, 15, 16, 17, uh, and it's there now just because it's kind of, you know, uh, tertiary market is a bit of a darling. When the market does turn, guess what's going to happen? It's going to go from 15, 16 to 30, 31. Um, you know, our philosophy isn't, you know, we don't buy and cross our fingers and hope that the, the market goes up. Right. Uh, you know, that, that is just not our value proposition. Again, we're going to markets that are stable, strong economic growth. Uh, there's companies moving there. Uh, and then basically it comes down to executing your model. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think that's a, an important thing. Um, there is this constant, um, there is this constant sort of tension between um, finding yield, but also staying within markets that have strong job growth and, um, you know, population growth. And so the nice thing about, you know, major markets, um, you know, and I know you're in Dallas and, you know, Houston and, and Phoenix and some of these markets that are, uh, you know, they're not New York and L.A., but on the other hand, they're growing like gangbusters. They, uh, at the end of the day, even if you have a change in sort of the overall real estate um, market, you have this this other opposing force, which is the growth in population. And that isn't going to, presumably that's not going to stop. People are moving there for a reason. Tough economic Correct. times are only going to make them move there even more. I had I, just a funny story, Buck. I was talking, uh, I was in Calgary um, uh, last week, which, which is a part of Canada, um, talking to a farmer last week, and he explained it this way. This way. He said, <laughs> Tim, he says, I have a chicken, and I want to make sure my chicken is laying eggs. But in the long run, I want to make sure my chicken's safe at the end of the day. <laughs> And it's, it's so simple and you're giggling, but really that's what it comes down no, to. No, no, I love and, it. I love it from yeah, a chicken it, farmer great, in uh, Calgary. A great analogy, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I want my eggs, 
but I want to make sure you preserve my chicken. And that's, that's definitely Western. It's called capital, capital preservation, which is uh, for a group that's plugging out those kinds of numbers, capital preservation, uh, you know, being part of the equation is, is a nice relief as well. So tell me what's the plan again for this year, uh, 2020 Western wealth capital, what markets are we looking at? Uh, what's the, uh, you know, what's the, what's the goal? Well, uh, you know, we're currently in five markets, as, as discussed, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, second largest uh, owner operator in Phoenix. There's about 12 cities that, you know, we follow very closely. Our goal uh, for 2020 is to add two new cities. So that means not, you know, not to have assets in five, to have, have them in seven. Um, you know, the, the type of, you know, type of markets we're looking at is, uh, you know, we're in Nevada, we're looking at Nevada, so we're looking at Vegas, we're looking at Denver, of course, uh, at Denver, um, Florida, uh, many centers in, in Florida as well, too. Uh, you know, Washington, Washington State, uh, Seattle, Portland, um, and, uh, Nashville as well, too. So, you know, we have a six-member uh, acquisition team, and uh, we always joke, I'm not sure who lives in uh, airports more than them or, them or myself, but... Uh, uh, we're, 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 we're kicking a lot of tires, uh, but the goal is at the end of the year to be in two, you know, two new cities. Um, we just don't move in a city unprepared. Uh, we yeah. do a lot of homework. We do a lot of back check. We don't, you know, we, we actually are, before we move in a city, we don't want to buy one building. We're going to go in and typically buy three buildings. Uh, you don't, right. you know, we, we want to get, uh, you know, we want to have a, a thousand to 1500 units. Well, that's part of the exit plan too. Right. I mean, and, and, and that's one of the things that <clears throat> I think is important too. one of the reasons that you end up getting paid more for these is you're not selling one building at a time. You're wrapping it up to like seven or eight buildings at a time and selling it to selling it at a premium to a big, you know, to a big uh, institutional buyer. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and, for, and for numbers, we're probably looking at a gain one a month. So probably 12, 12, yep. 12, uh, 12 deals this year. So for on a deal flow. Uh, perspective. So another ambitious, ambitious goal. For, I'm for just curi- curious one thing, and I don't know how much you've actually looked into it, but it's funny that you mentioned Vegas, but you know, I, I brought that up too, because I, I remember the economist that we had at our last meetup and the growth in, 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 you know, just in people moving into Vegas is insane. Right. But well, it, the question is, is it real this time? Right. Because yeah, it, it is, I mean, yeah. you look, you look at the uh, the jobs. Uh, I I believe you know, not that long ago, uh, over sixty percent was you know in in that hospitality uh, sector. I, I believe that's under forty percent now. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that just shows that there is there's other types of opportunity now in in, in Las Vegas, uh, and it's not solely dependent on on the casinos. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, and uh, you know, and again, it's it's. Um, you know, it's it another seems state like it's that just one well. of those things where it's ripe, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, what's the difference between living in, you know, in, in a climate-wise, say, Las Vegas, Nevada, and Phoenix, Arizona, right? I mean, it's not, and, 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 and people are, and Phoenix is growing very quickly. And then Vegas, all of a sudden, now they've got a, you know, they're going to have a football team. They have an NHL team. It's starting to seem like a normal thing to live in Las yeah. Vegas. <laughs> it is. You know? You know, it's like anywhere, Buck. It's, yeah. it's any state or city you live in. There's tr- you know, tremendous opportunity in, in great pockets. Uh, I, I've yeah. I know a lot of people that live in Vegas, and 
you know, you joke, the first question is, is about the strip. And it's like any city you live in. Uh, they all just kind of chuckle and say, you know, we may go this trip once a quarter. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like me going, you know, me going downtown for dinner with, with my family. It's, it's, right. Right. you know, it's the same, same concept. Well, Timmy, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, it has been uh, great to have you on the show. And uh, for those of you who uh, want more of Tim, well, you can uh, read about him at the you know Western Wealth Capital uh, website. Otherwise, you can join Investor Club if you are an accredited investor, and that's where Tim frequently does webinars for us. Um, Tim, again, I want to thank you. It's uh, great to have you on the show finally. Thank you, Buck. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to learn more about Western Wealth Capital, make sure to sign up for Investor Club at wealthformula.com. That is, of course, if you are an accredited investor, which all this stuff, frankly, unfortunately for most, it requires. Now, one thing you might want to do for your own edification after listening to this podcast is go back and listen to the one I did with Dante Andrade on our uh, hybrid, hybrid value ad cash model. Um, you know, the reality is there's no right or wrong to this stuff, but there are differences in the various models. And it's all about educating yourself. Everyone should have a good sense of not only their personal financial philosophies and goals, but also, you know, what kinds of stuff is out there that fits into those goals. Now, Western wealth is not a cash flow model. We emphasize that all the time. But it is a huge uh, growth model, as you can uh, imagine. If you are a high-paid professional, uh, you may ask yourself whether it is really that important for you to have a cash flow model right now. I, Admittedly, I used to think that it was all about cash flow, right? Even if you read Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, I'm like, oh, it's cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. But the reality is that not everybody needs it right now. If you're a high-paid professional, say you're a doctor, you know, making three, four hundred thousand dollars a year, and you know, you put a, you put a hundred thousand dollars into a deal that's putting out ten percent per year, and all of a sudden you've got uh, you know, an extra 10 grand per year coming in, or if you did 50 grand for the investment, you get an extra five grand in per year. Is that making a huge difference in your life today? Maybe, maybe not. But most of the time, what I hear from the high paid professionals is that, no, it doesn't really move the dial that much. So an alternative that to that is to just create growth in that capital. And perhaps, you know, you take that $50,000 today and you keep, you know, investing it for growth and maybe it turns into $500,000 over the next few years. And then you convert it into a stream for cash flow. And that actually would make potentially a material difference. Now, you know, from Tim's story, uh, you know, you heard the thing about the guy who invested 750K totals comes out with 4 million in principle. It sure seems like it's possible, right? So anyway, I don't want to tell you how to invest, but these are the kinds of things that you ought to be thinking about uh, as you listen to these podcasts. There is no one right business model. There is no one right way to invest. However, I will tell you again and emphasize this again, there are right and wrong operators. So get some in your bullpen, so to speak, you know, the ones that you know, like, and trust, and then make rational decisions about their models. Now, that's not 
financial advice by any means. It's just common sense. Anyway, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.